John chapter 1 is where we'll read the beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. And from His fullness... We have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Father, we're grateful for Your Word, the, the written Word that reveals to us the living Word of God, the man, Jesus Christ the God-man, Jesus Christ. We thank you that here we are in 2020, still having possession of this beautiful, living, active Word, still being transformed by this beautiful, living, active Word, worshiping Jesus who is alive and is not dead. And so we pray you would speak to our hearts today, transform us, continue to shape us more and more as your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is a new year. The holidays are over. LSU has won. We've just spent an entire week celebrating that, enjoying that, partying that, partying about that all week. And so I guess, I guess now life can go back to normal, right? Now we can settle in um, after this past week. For many, a new year, whether you're a Christian or not, is about change. Um, about 40% the surveys tell us, uh, of Americans make New Year's resolutions because they want to change something in their life. And even if you don't make a New Year's resolution, uh, usually a New Year represents, okay, I want to I live differently in some kind of way. It might be kind of more of an unofficial resolution. We all want to quit unhealthy behaviors or, or begin and restart healthy behaviors. At the Crossing Church, we, we begin each year in January with sermons on the Word, the first Sunday, and the second Sunday on prayer. You might say it's the eating and breathing of our spiritual lives. And in terms of change, we want to see in our lives, we know that what really needs to change in the deepest part of who we are, more than external behaviors, but truly what we believe in the essence of who we are, what, what really needs to be changed in us can't be changed by us. What really needs to be changed in us can only truly be changed by God through His Word and through His Spirit. Now we can modify our external behaviors and make it look as though we're different, 
But who we are in the essence of our being can only be affected by the one who made us, the one who created us. We can't fix ourselves. We have to have someone greater than us to fix what is really broken in us. So this morning I want to examine that kind of transformation that matters in relation to the Word of God. We probably have all come into this new year with baggage, maybe regrets, uh, maybe some ways we're grateful concerning our relationship with God and how we engage in His Word. Maybe you're, you've started another Bible reading plan and you're halfway through January, it's January 19th, and you're already having to catch up and you haven't even got to Leviticus yet. You're like, oh, how am I going to make it? Is this the year I'm going to make it through the Bible uh, on my own? How does your relationship with God's Word need to change? Maybe you think engaging in God's Word is optional for the Christian. That's really just for those super serious Christians. I come on Sunday, I hear the Bible taught, I I hear about it in Sunday school, but really like this daily encounter with God through God's Word, that's not really necessary unless you're like a super serious Christian or you get to a certain age where you can take Christianity that serious. Maybe you think the Bible is beyond you and you don't understand it and you think, I'll never understand it. It's just too confusing. A bunch of weird stories. Maybe you're so sick of failing to consistently engage in His Word that you're frankly tired of trying. Like, I've been down this road so many times, I just don't want to start again. Maybe if we're really honest this morning, you would confess that frankly, you don't really get much out of it and don't really desire it. You find much greater joy and satisfaction in other books or other forms of media. I mean, are you really trying to tell me that I'm supposed to find more joy and satisfaction in the Bible than Netflix? Really? Well, that's where I want to land this morning and spend the rest of our time examining how can a Christian change their desire for God's Word? How can you move from wherever you are to greater consistency, intensity, and passion to know God through His Word? Not focusing on plans. Plans are great. Like our church is reading through the Bible together this year. So we threw out three or four plans for people to choose from, and, and we said, pick your own plan. Just find some way to work through the Scriptures. Even if, if that's too much, then work through most of the Scriptures. But share your plan with other people in your community with so there can be accountability and encouragement. But let's, let's covenant together to, to strive to read through the entire Bible in 2020. So plans have their place. But without desire... A plan is only a plan and never a way of life. You can actually know the Scriptures and miss Jesus, as Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 39. So we're not going to focus this morning on excuses like, well, I don't like to read. Look, audio Bibles are a dime a dozen. You, you got a, a thousand you can download on your phone for free. You don't have to go buy the old cassette tapes with Alexander Scorby reading the Bible in his amazing accent anymore. I don't have time. Please, if you have a social media account or any kind of streaming service account or a TV in your home, you have time. I want to focus this morning on desire. How do I rediscover desire for God's Word and maybe discover it for the first time? Not, and, and guys, I'll just be, lay my cards on the table. I don't have some magical formula for you that you've never heard before. I don't have one, two, three, do this, and boom, you're a different person. I'm going to keep taking you back to the same truths that unlock the desire to engage God in His Word that God always gives us. Because if we're not desiring to engage God in His Word, there is something deficient in our understanding of who God is or in what God's Word is. We're missing something. 
We're missing something about who God is and what His Word is that makes His Word less than desirable than all the other things that are captivating our affections. And it's not a desire problem. We all desire things and do things that we desire every day. We all have passions and do things we're passionate about every day. It's where are we setting those desires? Where are we setting those affections? Where are we directing and placing those? On things of eternal, weighty, life-giving importance? Guys, I believe that the more the Spirit of God and the Word of God helps us see and grasp what we really have in the Bible, the more and more we grow in our affection for God and His Word. And it's not that we don't have to fight for it. It's like sometimes we get discouraged because we wake up and we're not hungry for the Word. Now, you have to fight for that, like every aspect of obeying God, because our flesh is against us, Satan is against us, and this world system is against us. Satan is constantly working through the world system he controls in conjunction with our flesh to arrange our lives so that we don't hunger and thirst for God's Word, so that we're so distracted, sometimes we can't even give any attention to God's Word. So it's something we have to fight for. But as we walk through some truths this morning about what we have in the Word, my prayer for us, my prayer for me, God, help me to see what you've given us and help me to believe that this Word is your Word and stir our affections for you once again. First we'll see, and it's just two things. First we see that God's Word creates and sustains life. The Bible begins with God speaking words and bringing everything into existence from nothing. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible doesn't open with a scientific explanation of creation. The Bible opens with poetry. The Bible, but however you reconcile science with the word, what is clear from the very beginning is that there was God and only God, and then God called everything into existence from nothing. So that there's this clear dichotomy. There is creator and creation. Creator is distinct from creation. If the Creator came about after creation was in place, so billions of years ago, things just happened by luck and happenstance, and then people eventually uh, walked out of the ooze, and we created gods to help us deal with life on this earth. If that's your understanding of creation, then there is no Christianity. There is no God. We've created God out of our own imagination. It began with God, and then from Him, everything was created by the word of His power. You see this in Genesis chapter 1. Let there be light, let there be sea and oceans and land and animals and finally man and woman. John echoes this language in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made distinctions made. There is the Word and there is God. The Word was God and with God. We learn a few verses later the identity of the Word in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17 and 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen the God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So the Word who was and is God and was with God eventually took on flesh and is the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus specifically is the agent of creation. Jesus is not only the agent of creation, 
Jesus is the one who sustains creation, according to Colossians chapter 1. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the preeminent one of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him, Christ, all things hold together. Jesus, the beloved Son, the King, in whose kingdom we live, in Him we have redemption and forgiveness, is the one by whom all things were created and in whom all things hold together. Hebrews says the same thing, Hebrews 1.3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. The universe continues to exist. Laws of nature continue to hold true. The planets continue to orbit. The sun continues to burn. Your heart continues to beat. The cells in your body continue to be recreated and replaced at a rate of 2 million cells per second. 2 million. 2 million. 2 million. What are you doing to make that happen? 2 million. 2 million. Your brain and nervous system continue to function. Your eyes see, your ears hear, and this continues day by day by day because Jesus and His Word and power and sustaining grace. The whole reason science exists is because God has ordained and created all things and sustains all things in such a predictable way that we can explore it. What if the laws of nature changed year by year? We wouldn't know what was coming. We wouldn't know how to live. But God made it and sustains it in such an orderly way we can understand it. We can explore We can create laws that say this is always true. We wake up every day because Jesus wakes us up. Yeah, I know we have an alarm clock and we snooze it 17 times and drive our, our wives or spouses crazy and, and they buzzing through the house. But the, the whole reason you wake up in the morning alive, able to see and hear and taste and understand is because Jesus wakes you up. We do nothing but sleep. We're not working at night to keep ourselves alive. We're, we're sleeping in the peace and the rest that Jesus is holding all things together. There's so much of His grace in our life just from the fact that we are alive physically. Just that we're alive physically. But it gets, it gets even better because it's not just that He created and sustains physical life, but He also sustains and gives life spiritually. Romans 10 how then will they call unto Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. 1 Peter 1, 23-25, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. You've been born again through the imperishable, living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the 
word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. We are born again, born from above through the living and abiding word of God, which is a more sure and lasting word than even creation itself, which means the spiritual life we have through the word of God is life that does not end, life that not even death can take away. It's one of the great truths of our faith that when we lay our loved ones in the ground, we can remind ourselves they're still alive because of Jesus. In fact, we got out of the van a little while ago and my boys, I don't know, last time they saw a cemetery, if they've ever seen a cemetery. It's been so long since we've been in uh, an environment like that. And they're kind of looking around. What's this about? It's a fence. Can't go in there. Stones. What's this? So I'm trying to explain to Noah, who's not quite three. Well, Noah, those are places where people that we love, are, their bodies are buried, and the markers mark who it is. And they're waiting for Jesus to come back and call those bodies out of the ground and receive this glorious body we're going to have for eternity. And Noah's like, oh, thanks, Dad, for explaining me that. I didn't understand any of that. <laughs> I think he picked up a rock and threw it or something. You know, He, he doesn't get it yet, but he's going to get it one day. But this is what we know. That those loved ones we lay in the ground, they have never been more alive than, when, than at that moment that they're in the presence of Christ. And one day they will be resurrected with that body, which will be glorified, which will last forever, because these bodies can't last forever. This is so true and so glorious. Paul would say to live is Christ, which is incredible, but to die is gain. It only gets better for us. It only gets better for us. And when we sit before the Word of God and we begin to read, we're, we're not reading a textbook. It's not a, a life, a map to, to a way of life. It's not an instruction manual. It's not a novel. It's not just a history book or a religious document. We are reading a book that is alive and gives us life and faith in Christ. It's hearing these words that we came alive in Jesus and we're going to live forever in Jesus because of these words that we've heard. They were spoken into our soul. This word proclaimed to you, made you alive in Christ. This word sustains your life in Christ. And every time we sit before it, we are pu- pulling up uh, to the table for another meal, another opportunity to feast. Y'all, uh, might be ha- y'all having lunch today? No? Okay. Sometimes y'all have lunches, Brian's told me, on certain Sundays, and soups, and gumbos and chicken and dumplings. Somebody made some chicken and dumplings I had one time. Oh my gosh. My wife hates chicken and dumplings, so she doesn't make it, so I have to go to churches like this to get it. And nobody doubts whether or not you're enjoying that food. Oh, it's so good. Mm, thank you for making that. It's delicious. It's the same thing that happens to our soul. We feast on the Word. This is so good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for feeding me again. Just this morning... And I'm not, it's not like this every morning, so don't make, you know, make me out to be something more than I am. But I'm reading through Acts this morning, part of my Bible reading plan, and just seeing so many examples of, uh, something happened and, and the word of the Lord flourished. Something happened and the disciples were encouraged. Something happened, the church grew. Something happened and there was fruit. Spirit, the word were doing work and there's fruit among the people of God. And I was just like celebrating, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. All through the book of Acts, this is happening. 
The church is alive. The church is on the move and things are being transformed. Now I'm going to go back to the book of Acts and just go through and just mark all those passages where there's fruit. We think of 3,000 were added to their number daily and 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 the church grew. Yes, that's fruit. But there's other fruit. The disciples were encouraged. That's fruit. The church was edified. That's fruit. And it happens throughout the book of Acts because the Spirit and the Word are on the move. Spirit and the Word are in action. And we can experience the same thing as a church today. So as our bodies remind us it's time to eat through hunger pains and grumblings, so our souls hunger and thirst for God's Word. So it's quite natural if you're here this morning and you've been away from the Word for a while, or it's been a while since you've really enjoyed a a feast in the Word, it's quite natural for your soul this morning to be hungering for something. Oh man, i I got to get back. I want to enjoy it. I want to feast on it again. And when you you have that time in the Word and it's so good, you're just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's so good. I'm enjoying your Word. Why can't it be like this every day? There's this hungering and longing for that. If that desire is, is not there, if that desire is never there, if you never engage God in His Word, if you never really miss it, you never really want it, like if you could just be honest with yourself this morning and admit, I could probably go the rest of my life and kind of be okay without the Bible. If that's the condition of your heart this morning, it's very possible that you are not alive in Christ. You are not alive in Christ. You've never been born a God, born of God. We can never, ever assume our salvation. Are you a Christian? Of course I'm a Christian. That can never be the posture of our heart. By God's grace, yes, I am. And only by His grace. I can't be born into it. I can't be religious enough to have it. It doesn't matter if my parents have it. That doesn't mean I have it. It doesn't matter if my grandparents have it. It doesn't mean I have it. He says this in that passage in John chapter 1. John 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We need a birth from above. We need to be born of God to be in Christ and have Christ in us. Your physical birth does not save you and make you a child of God. Your will of the flesh, being religious, does not make you a child of God. The will of men does not make you a child of God. You are a child of God when you're born of God. Born from above. Receiving and believing and trusting and cherishing Jesus Christ as your King and Savior. And all of that happens through the Word of God. All of it only happens through the Word of God. And that ignites a flame that will never truly be quenched for God and His Word. It definitely burns at different intensities. All of us would testify to that. There are mornings and there are seasons and there are months where as hot, I can't get enough. And there are times the dark night of the soul where it's a struggle and a fight and a wrestle for it. But it's always there. It's always lingering behind the struggle. It's always on the tip of your tongue. You can't get enough of it because you've been born of God, because you've been born of His Word. God through His Word, creates and sustains physical life and spiritual life. And then secondly, God's Word is uh, how we know, walk, and enjoy God. 
through His Word. We, we know God because God has chosen to make Himself known. And the primary and most clear way He is known is through His Son, Jesus. And the way we and all believers of Jesus have ever known Jesus is through the Bible. Unless someone lived in the first century and is really, really old this morning, you've only known Jesus through the testimonies of those who walked with Him and talked with Him. In the Old Testament, believers were hoping in the promised one yet to come. So it wasn't as clear for them because they were looking forward to the promise of the Redeemer, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. From Genesis 3.15 on, God's people are looking forward to the one who would come, born of a woman who would crush the head of the serpent. But now Jesus comes, and as John in Colossians tells us, He makes God visible by taking on flesh. Jesus tells Philip in John chapter four, verse, uh, John 14, verse 6 and 7, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says, show us the Father. Jesus responds, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know God through his son, Jesus. When Thomas doubts that Jesus has been raised, the other disciples have seen him. And Thomas for him, that's not enough. The testimony of eyewitnesses is not enough for Thomas. i got to touch his hands. i got to put my hand on his side. And a week later, Jesus appears to them again and tells Thomas in John 20, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answers one of the great confessions of faith in all the Scriptures. My Lord and my God. Literally, the Lord of me, the God of me. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen but have believed, which is us. Us. And John goes on to write in his first letter, the, the first four verses before we read this morning, verses 5-9, through nine, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, John, 1 John 1 which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Our joy will be completed when you who haven't seen Jesus, haven't touched Jesus, haven't heard Jesus speak, when you believe that the testimony of us who have, our joy will be complete. Because you're joining the fellowship. There is blessing to knowing and believing in Jesus even through though you've never seen Jesus. By believing in the eyewitness testimony of those who have, we enter in this fellowship and joy of knowing Jesus. No, it's not the same way as those who walked with Jesus physically on the earth. But those guys messed it up half the time. I mean, they didn't see him perfectly all the time. They had misunderstandings and misconceptions about who he was throughout his ministry. But we're blessed in different ways. Uh, but it's, but it's tangible, it's experiential, it's, it's a blessed way. In other words, we're not shortchanged because we didn't live in 30 A.D. We're not missing out because we didn't live when Jesus walked the earth in His incarnate ministry. We have all we need in the testimony and word preserved by God to experience full, abundant, joyful life in Jesus. Most of God's people who enjoy and treasure Jesus have never seen Him in His incarnate ministry. 
a vast majority, vast majority, probably upwards of 98% believe and have faith in the testimony of who Jesus was and that he really lived, he really died, he really proved that he, he was who God said he was and accomplished what God said he accomplished. In fact, Paul would say in Galatians 3.5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Which is a rhetorical question. How do we get the Spirit? How do we have the miracle regeneration done in us? How do we have fellowship and relationship with God? Through works of the law? No, Paul says. The entire book of Galatians is written to rebuke those who would say that obedience to the law is necessary for a relationship with the Lord. No, through hearing with faith. Hearing what? Believing what? The Word of God. Jesus would say in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How does this happen? How do we abide in him? How does he abide in us? A few verses later, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus abides in us. We abide in Jesus through his word. We hear it. We believe it. We read it. We grasp it. We meditate on it. We memorize it. We obey it, which gives evidence that we really believe it. Our obedience isn't the foundation of our relationship with God. If that were the case, we could boast about our obedience. His obedience is the foundation of our relationship with God. Jesus did everything, and our belief and trust in that reality is what connects us to and reconciles us and brings peace between God and us. And even, according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, even our faith is a gift of God's grace so that we can't even boast about the faith we profess because He gave that to us as well. There's nothing about our salvation we'll stand before God one day and beat our chest about. Nothing. We'll fall down before Him and say, only by Your grace. Only by Your grace am I saved. Fruits like those mentioned in Colossians 3.16, these fruits that we live out because we're obeying and believing the Word. Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. As the Word is dwelling and abiding in us, we become people filled with joy and wisdom and healthy, life-giving relationships and gratitude. Through the Word of God, we know God and have a vibrant relationship with Him. 2 Timothy 3, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What's amazing is that when Paul says all scripture is breathed out by God, Paul is only referring to the Old Testament. That's all they had. The New Testament was still being written. Most of what they had was the Old Testament, whatever letters or gospel accounts that were being circulated by the church that they early on recognized as equivalent to the Old Testament Scriptures. And that was enough. And this Scripture is breathed out by God, which means it has the same character and qualities as the one who breathed it out. So God is holy, His Word is holy. God is true, His Word is true. God is life, His Word is life. God is hope, His Word brings hope. And it is sufficient for us to be equipped for everything God's created and called us to do. This good work He's prepared beforehand that we should walk in His good works, Ephesians 2.10. Good work like seeing sin crushed in your life. When Paul lists the spiritual armor of God we put on in Ephesians 6, he mentions in verse 16, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith, which 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. What are the flaming darts of the evil one? Like, are we walking out of our doors in the morning and, you know, ducking? Whew, there's another one. Get into our car and we shut our car door. Whew, an arrow sticks in the side of our car. No. He's not literally talking about flaming arrows, but spiritually it's the attacks of our enemy. And how does our enemy attack us? Our enemy is a liar, a slanderer, an accuser. Satan comes after us through lies and slanders and accusations that aren't true. You, you know, you shouldn't save him. He's a pathetic excuse for a Christian. All the good things that he does, he just does it so other people will applaud him. They're just going to let you down, Jesus. If you, if you save them, they're just going to fail you. They're going to be like Peter and deny you. Lies about what God thinks about us. Lies about what other people think about us. This is how the enemy works. Uh, outright lies or lies disguising his truth. And so how do we see those crushed in Ephesians 6.16? Through the shield of faith. Faith in what? Faith in the truth of God and his word. Every time we sin, it's because we're believing a lie about the enemy, a lie of the enemy or our flesh and not believing the truth about God. Every time we sin is rooted in a lie about God that we are believing or we're not believing a truth about God. So how do we combat those lies? The spirit, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the shield of faith. We believe what God has said. We believe who God is. Satan, come at me with your lies. I've got who God really is in this book. And I stand behind my shield of faith believing the truth of who God is and not your lies. So what lies about yourself from the enemy are you most prone to believe? What truth about God is most effective to crush those lies? Like for some in this room, it might be the Father's love for you. Or somehow His love for you is constant, is not constant, and, but it's wavering. But that's not how your Father in Heaven loves you. His love is constant and never wavering. His love for you is not based on your performance, but on the performance of Christ, who is perfect. And no matter how much you succeed or how much you fail, you are His and His love is on you and He sees you always through the lens of Christ and the righteous robes of Christ. You're always His in His eyes, a dearly loved son of your Father in Heaven, a dearly loved daughter of your Father in Heaven. Your Father's love for you doesn't facilitate. Your Father's love for you is greater than your dad, your, your earthly Father's love. As much as we want to love our kids perfectly as earthly dads, we fail miserably. We can't keep all of our promises. We, we shortchange our wives and kids. We can't love them perfectly. So when we fail as dads, we can go to our kids and our spouses and say, I'm so sorry but you have a dad who's better than me. You have a dad who never lets you down. You have a dad who loves you perfectly all the time. You have a dad who keeps his promises. So when you see my failures, don't let it affect how you see your father in heaven because he's greater than me and he's going to hold you forever. And sometimes when we grow cold or distant from his word, we're struggling to return because somehow we think we have to perform before coming back. But the word of God tells us Christ has done everything. You never have to perform to earn my love. And no matter how far you run or how long you run from your Father in heaven, He's always scanning the horizon looking for you. And as soon as He gets sight of you, He's coming after. He's pulling up His robes. He's coming after you. Not to shame you or condemn you, but to embrace you. To throw a party. 
My son who is dead is alive. My son who is lost is now found. Let's celebrate. They're back. And that's how He always treats us. That's how He always feels about us. It's as simple as cracking open the words, saying in your mind and heart, Dad, I've sinned. But again, I'm trusting and resting in the full forgiveness and freedom purchased for me in Christ. And so I'm back. Let's pick this up where we left off. And he's just like, okay, let's do it. Let me just show you how amazing I am and how loving I am. And so what will 2020 look like for you in your relationship with God and His Word? What do you want it to look like? Like really in the deepest part of your being this morning. It's January 19th, 2021, a year from now. What do you want to look back over this last year and be able to say about engaging with your Father in Heaven through His Word? I saw a tweet one time about a guy who watched 77 seasons of television the previous year and wanted to tell everybody about it. (sighs) Okay, that's what you want your life to be about? What if in 2020 you really got in shape physically and you're running marathons before the end of the year? Or financially, you live with discipline and generosity as never before. What if you really change your eating habits and by the end of the year, it's less sugar and more salad? Yay! Nothing wrong with those things, but where does God and His Word fit into all that energy and passion? I grew up, um, my, my sports hero growing up was Michael Jordan. I wanted to be like Mike. I modeled my, my basketball game after him. Wish. I could be like him. It was a sobering thing and a sad day when I realized I could never truly be like Mike. No matter how much Gatorade I drank or how much basketball I played, I was never going to be like Mike. I think I was 23 years old. Not quite that old. I had physical limitations. I had time, desire. I just, I'm never going to be 6'6". I'm never going to have that kind of athletic ability. But it was also an encouraging day when as a believer I realized there were no limitations in me becoming as mature a son of my Father in Heaven as I could possibly become. My only limitations were self-imposed. My Father in Heaven has prepared a banquet. Come and eat. Come and enjoy. Come and live in the freedom of being my son. And, and, and it never ends, and it's inexhaustible. What would it look like for Alt's Chapel to engage in the Word with greater passion than you've ever experienced any other year of your life? How would that change your joy, your peace, your love, your humility, your sacrifice? How would that change the relationships in this church, in this community? How would that change our marriages and our homes and our jobs and this whole community? What, what if we're talking more and more and being more passionate about the work of the Word in us one year from now than anything else you've read or consumed. Whether you plan to read the whole Bible this year or just one chapter over and over and over and over, I would encourage you to think and pray and plan to engage deeply with God and His Word. And here's the next step. This is the step we always leave off. Next step. How you plan to engage in God's Word, tell somebody. Tell your spouse tell your small group, tell your Sunday school class, tell other people, say, here's what I want to do in the Bible this year. So there can be accountability and encouragement. So they can check in. Hey, how's that going? What can we celebrate? Where do you need help when you're struggling? Let's eat, church. God has prepared an amazing feast for us.
that satisfies the deepest longings of our soul. Let's enjoy Him this year. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we pray that it would dig deeper into our souls, transforming us, so we truly would hunger and thirst for Your Word as we hunger and thirst for You. Help us to be transformed as a church, transformed as Your people, to see our community and our cities and our parishes transformed by Your Word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.